Welcome to Respect Life Radio. My name is Deacon Jeff Bennett with Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of Denver. Our special guest today is Dr. Bershalski, head of Divine Mercy Care and Tepiak OBGYN Clinic. He's a former abortionist who now saves babies' lives, who treats babies as the humans that they are. He was here in Denver for the Gospel Life Conference back in 2015, and you can still hear his talk on YouTube. We have seen things really heat up around the state level recently over the last year when it comes to saving babies inside the mother's womb, and now even outside of it since we're talking about infanticide by some in our society. You have a unique perspective having been on both sides of the issue, Doctor. What are your thoughts of where we are and where we're going to end up? You know, it's interesting, Deacon. Um, you know, when I was out in Denver, your community out there really has this incredible combination for the gospel of life and social justice. So it has a way of blending both the right and the left. And when you realize who Jesus Christ is about his um, love and mercy and how he's all things to all of us, um, he died for us. Um, it's, not, it's not a right or left issue. It's actually both and, and you don't have to split yourself. So anytime that you believe abortion is health care, that the death of a person is health care, the death of a human life is health care, and you do it because the mother wants it, um, you begin to rip apart. So I'm an OBGYN. I'm 59 years of age, Deacon. Right. Um, I listened uh, to all my female friends of their PMS and their hormonal issues and their love lives and the frustrations of men not committing or the frustrations of being used. And so I went into OBGYN and I went into OBGYN. So it's both and. It's OB and GYN. Right. And now, uh, 96.7% of our abortions are done because of convenience, meaning the mom doesn't want the fetus or the baby or the pregnancy, whatever you want to call it, and it's now split. And in this country, because we've had such a radical, radical agenda since the beginning, you know, we're one of a very few countries across the world that have abortion on demand. And so when the, uh, I think it's the two Australian bioethicists said, you know, we should extend abortion to the first six months of life because there's really nothing, there's no difference between killing a baby outside the womb than doing a second or third trimester termination. It's the same thing. So they write this big paper, and when I was going around to medical schools, they didn't even want to talk about it. But right. now, but now... If the mother doesn't want the child, we have to be like a vending machine. We have to give them their, you know, so everybody says, well, you either have to do it or you have to refer for it. That's where this conscience issue is happening. And so what's happening, everybody's digging in, meaning they're going to do it until birth. And it should be protected because it's a woman's right. We have to realize that Europe doesn't do that. Many yeah, and usually Europe's ahead of us and on the left on most things, but we're unfortunately taking the lead on this one. We are, right. And so remember, like when you go to a third trimester or a second trimester abortion mill, whether it was Tiller or, uh, you know, Gosnell in Philadelphia, their whole purpose is to end the life of that child. 99.9% .9 of the time, 
women go to those clinics, uh, Deacon, because they don't want the pregnancy and they waited too long. It's not like they're getting rid of babies who are ill or sick. And so they terminate those pregnancies. And often, as, you, as we found out with Gosnell, they make sure the baby's dead, either before, during, or after the abortion procedure, because the end result of abortion is a dead fetus, a dead baby. Right, and they're going to well, do it one way or the other. Yes, sir, exactly. Now, across the country, there are many people, sadly, who believe that, oh, there's too much suffering, and you know, it's, it would be merciful, like mercy killing, where they take a sick child who maybe has no brain, no skull, maybe has no kidneys, and says, you know, it's, quote unquote, incompatible with life. And they deliver those babies very early, and they sometimes let the mom hold those babies, but sometimes it's so traumatic that they just let the baby fall into a bucket and then kind of cover the baby up because it's not just not wanted, but it's also traumatic. You don't want to cause the woman any more psychological pain. Well, and many hospitals do that as a matter of a good service. Well, over time, we've done some, we've created something, well, not created, we've uh, developed uh, something that Byron Calhoun found was perinatal hospice where you treat both mom and baby. Because remember, can you imagine? What a novel concept. Right. Because what? Because OBGYNs, you know, I'm Polish. I'm 59. (laughs) You know, this is not rocket science here. But listening to the genius of the woman speaking the language of their body, whether it's hormones, whether it's signs of fertility, or whether it's the, the language of her hormones, I have to tell you, they're telling you a story. And you have to listen to that, and you have to treat both patients. Meaning, as an OBGYN, I was committed to serving two patients. Right? Why? Because you know you get sued in the in the secular world, or you know uh, the outcome of one is intimately tied to the outcome of the other. How many mothers are traumatized, especially in our audience today, who lost a baby unassumed, the, the stillbirth, quote unquote, the baby that didn't make the tough cardiac surgery? Those are much different patients than the woman who said, I just can't have this baby. I know it's 25 weeks, but let's just get rid of it. Or the mother who listened to her quote unquote good doctor's advice and delivered so early that she could not hold her child. What what we've tried to do is good moms want to spend time with their sick children. So whether you have Down syndrome or no skull, you 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 don't get rid of the disease by getting rid of people with the disease. Right. That's just right. good medicine. And now and you started out in your residency, right, doing abortions, <laughs> yeah, contraception. Well, I mean, yeah. so you have a you have that perspective. You know no, the dark side. Right. I've been on both sides, and it's really not dark. You know, you know, Deacon Jeff, um, and I learned this a lot through those men at your seminary there in Denver. I learned this a lot through the women who run Bella Healthcare. I, run, I learned this a lot through your, the people who run your diocese. Right. I, I learned this, basically, you can't be lukewarm. Do not be lukewarm. Yeah, that doesn't work Some, too well. No, it doesn't. Revelation talks about vomiting yes. from the mouth. And, you know, I'm That's an right. and I, even though I'm Polish, I don't like vomiting. <laughs> <laughs> and so... But this is what happens when we become half, halfway Christians. I'll give, but as long as it doesn't interfere with my lifestyle, I'm not going to do anything. So here I am talking to um, you on this incredible 
life, uh, Respect Life Radio that I really hope people support and that the diocese, thank God you're doing this because you're helping us. So the problem is us, Deacon, it's not them. I did abortions the first two years of my residency. I terminated Down syndrome. I terminated really sick babies. I terminated babies with no kidneys. And these were all, quote unquote, incompatible with life. Right. But you never get rid of the disease by getting rid of the people with the disease. And the mothers are so traumatized because remember, one second before I give her the diagnosis of that fact, she wants to keep the baby. It's a wanted, loved pregnancy. All of a sudden, oh, by the way, your baby has no skull, has no brain, has no kidneys, and we really need to deliver it this evening by induction or by breaking it apart. Oh, my God. You've got to be joking me. So right. I've been on both sides. And when you allow, when you love the child in the womb of its mother, as long as the good Lord provides, you can break up those, you can parse those diseases into livable, lovable, and treatable. And so, you know, if the baby's healthy, you love on them. You, you let them live, you know. There's two people, there's two separate human lives, in, you know, there's two lives inside the, or one life inside the life of the mom. Well, if it's treatable, you know, we now have incredible uh, success stories about treating spina bifida and blocked kidneys in utero. And then there's the one where you just love the child until the Lord calls it home. And, I, you know, once again, um, the mom wants to spend time with. We actually have a conversion in our area of a guy who did abortions who helped me out when I was getting my chemotherapy. He delivered one of our perinatal hospice patients. It made him so angry the night he did it, he revolted. He basically said he'd never help me again. Six or seven years later, he shows up at my door with a beautiful picture of Dubrovnik, Yugoslavia, which is a city I love. He basically says, there was more love in that woman. By the way, do you remember the time I yelled at you? Yeah, I remember, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> he says, no, he goes, I saw more love in that, woman, in that room. I'm a really good doctor, Johnny, and I wanted love like that in my patients. But I ended all those pregnancies because I thought I was helping the mother mercifully. So when I say mercy and I think of Divine Mercy Care, our organization, and when most of our people in the world say mercy killing, we're talking about two different mercies. And that's part of the issue you're driving at, Deacon, and you've got your finger on the pulse. Words no longer mean anything. So we are at a Tower of Babel moment. Nobody can talk to one another because whether it's the polarization of the church, polarization of um, politics, the polarization of economics. You know, my people in Poland were, you know, crushed by the Nazis, crushed by the Russians, put in gulags, put in, you know, Birkenau and the rest. You, once again, you throw Christ out of the equation, the relationship with Jesus Christ, and you're left with insanity. Well, and that's and what I we have now, right? Yes. Well, yes, sir. And so I'm just encouraged. Yeah, no, no. I Listen, I think what an opportunity for us who have the gift of the Eucharist and the gift of the sacraments and the gift of great shepherds and the gift of the catechism and the gift of incredible divine mercy through the theology of the body, where you can use those principles to enunciate clear truth, both science as well as faith, to young women who, remember, this is the Me Too movement generation. This is all these years after the freedom, you know, that we've done with, uh, you know, uh, 
the feminine genius and the, you know females um, you know becoming as liberated as humanly possible right. they've just adopted male they've adopted the male ways on sex and marriage and boy i mean we're talking really tough stuff now and i agree with you buddy i but the way that we're going to combat that is what you're doing you're helping us not be lukewarm Yes, it may be dark out there, but I can't throw stones at them. They were me. I'm them. <laughs> well, one, we're here. We're here for a purpose, right? The Lord doesn't Amen, make mistakes. Brother. We're here for a purpose. Yeah, I do have absolutely. a question, though. What Go about what's going on at medical schools? What are they teaching young doctors about this? And how does it and so, how does it square with the Hippocratic Oath when they are promoting abortions? Okay, so the Hippocratic Oath is no longer said at medical schools. Oh, I didn't meaning, know that. Yes, uh, I graduated medical school in 87, and it was already going out of style then. So the do no harm is not not part of the deal. Well, the do no harm is part of the deal, but they don't want to give the fetus any rights because it flies in the face of the ideology of a woman has a right to her body for any reason at any time to have an abortion. So they had to get rid of Hippocrates and they basically sidelined him. They said, oh, he's just a minuscule sect in the middle of healthcare, and he doesn't apply anymore. Just like we don't uh, sign off to Escobolus, you know, the god of medicine. You know, there's, many things have changed. Right. And so they talk about not doing things that are legal or illegal. So there's a whole movement now about where does Hippocrates fit in? So most of our students today do not get um, any Hippocratic training. Number two, um, bioethics classes are usually about 30 seconds long, and they're usually situational ethics, meaning beneficence, uh, patient autonomy. They talk about patient autonomy a lot, like they're the ones you have to respect. Well, why do they do that? Because doctor autonomy you being integrated to what you believe kind of flies in the face. Oh, you don't provide access to abortion. Deacon, do you know why it's do you know why there are not many abortionists left? Because it's a damn hard thing to do. I know that because I did it. Right. right. I wanted to help women to the best of my ability. I remember, I grew up in a Polish family. Don't ever be lukewarm, Johnny. So when I bought into the 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 truth that abortion and contraception were good for women, I wanted to do the best I could. I wanted to learn it all. Well, when you start doing abortions for convenience and you start then sliding into abortions because the baby's sick, and then you start sliding off into abortions done for Down syndrome. My cousin Mike asked me all the time, Johnny, am I a, um, am I a endangered species? What was I going to answer to that? At yeah. my hands, I ended the disease that he was living with. And I was getting rid of those babies before they could become a statistic. So this whole idea of medical school, they talk about patient autonomy, but not doctor autonomy. And that's because they're, it's basically governed, sadly, by the ideology that abortion is health care, that abortion is needed for women. And so it's no longer abortion being rare, safe, and whatever. They want abortion on demand all the time, and they want to be able to end the life of the child after a failed abortion. It's what Mr. Obama voted on back many years ago. 
But now, in order to prove your street credibility with the far left, that's what you got to do. And so we make so, the mother. So we make the mother judge, jury, and then she hires the executioner. And it's really up to her whenever that needs to happen. Yes. And if you believe for one minute, as most of my patients do, that when their mother-in-law comes to visit and it screws up their cycle because of all the stress in the house. <laughs> Women and men are connected body, soul, and spirit. The theology of the body is much more than a theology. It's a physiology. You are body, soul, and spirit. So we not only do that, and then we leave women in that no woman's land where they can't talk about it. And oh, by the way, Deacon, you understand now that half of all first trimester abortions, more than half, are done medically. So those abortions, after you take the medicine, to kill the baby and to push it out, it's done in your toilet or in your bed. Well, and we saw that in the movie Unplanned, didn't we? Is that Was that an accurate depiction? Um, to be honest with you, buddy, it was an accurate depiction, and I know that because I developed a little bit of PTSD. Okay. That's what I did. I mean, that's what I did. That's what I believed in. And when you see it that raw... It's the same thing that I want to help your folks. You take a picture, you take a picture of that face of Christ on the tilma, on the image that's not the, um, you know, not the tilma of Guadalupe, but the tilma or the, um, the, the, the shroud of Turin, I mean. Right. That reality, that reality is real. The suffering and damage, the broken nose, the fractured zygomatic processes, the, he the head that looks brutalized, the eyes that are closed, um, the beard that is sopping wet, dried out. Whether you see it raw, blood on the toilet floor, all over the cramping, left to do it by yourself, that's what they consider is progressive, enlightened, safe healthcare. You've gotta be kidding me. Abortion yeah. is not healthcare, it's destructive at all. Well, I mean, anytime and you look at something that's normal as a disease, you're, you're, you're asking for nothing but disaster. Right. Exactly, and that's the whole idea back, you know, once again, I'm 59. I believe children were STDs. That's why I wanted to contracept them, IUD them, inject them, whatever I could do to prevent you from getting it because they weren't gifts from God. They were just a pain in the neck that happened at a bad time. So you what, at what point, at, as, <laughs> I was gonna say, at what, point, at what point did the child become a patient as well? For me? Yeah. I mean, when you were doing when you were doing when you were doing abortions. I mean, was there ending a point or something yeah. for anybody who's doing abortions? At what point do you have two patients as oh, opposed God. to just one? So remember, when you start doing early abortions, they're very small. These fetuses right. are right. And, and the suction tears them up. You can't see them. But then, if you want to get better at it, you do 12, 13, 14, 15 weeks, and then you have to count the parts. You've got to say, oh, there's two arms, two legs, a head. You know, it's what the Planned Parenthood videos were talking about, how you selectively go after parts of the baby to save other parts so you can sell those things. Oh, leave the chest cavity because they need a liver or save the skull because they need a thalamus. We can do that today. But for me, John Burchowski, I delivered a, a lady broke her water in the middle of her pregnancy. I did not take a good history. She didn't want the kid, so I didn't want it. So I pitted the baby out. The baby ended up being five grams above 500. I had to call the NICU doctors in. And the NICU nurse and the NICU doctor came in, looked at me, and basically said, Johnny, stop giving me a tumor. 
Now, there was a one pound, little over one pound kid on the scale, wiggling, trying to make noise. It was like a little, you know, you could almost see through its translucent skin. The right. eyes were maybe open a little bit, but it was moving, it was making noise. And I looked at that, and the first thing was, I didn't even think about it because I was aborting this woman, number one. Number two is, it didn't. she didn't want it, but it looked like a baby to me. It looked like a, a young, struggling life that needed some help. It looked like one of those birds that falls out of the nest that you so gently try to, you know, replace right. mm-hmm. or whatever. Right, good well, I'll analogy. be darn deacon. I'm telling you, brother. That neonatologist called me on the carpet. She never questioned my, my, my politics. She said, stop giving me tumors. Because the baby was over 500 grams, I had to call her. She had to resuscitate the baby, meaning that this abortion became a live birth that they had to take to the nursery. And for the first time in my life, I realized that I was treating a person, a, a human life, as a tumor, something unwantable. And that bothered me because I was, believe it or not, during that time, I was during the nighttime, I was working at a pregnancy center from an Assembly of God church, and I was beginning to understand the body of Christ. This idea, even though I grew up Catholic, I kind of wandered away. I was in this assembly church, and I really began to believe the Our Father, that we were all one family. Then I began to read Jerome Lejeune, this great French geneticist, the father of Down syndrome, who became the arch rival of my professor during in vitro fertilization um, court cases when what do you do with embryos that are frozen and in limbo and there's a divorced couple? Are they your children or are they your property? Can you just waste them or do you love them? Well, Jerome Lejeune taught me, don't ever, ever hurt your family, ever. And genetically, we are all part of the human family. That's it. End of discussion. Yeah. We are human. It's part of it. So when I say the Our Father, when from the cross, Jesus goes, hey, guys, hey, Johnny, this is your mother. When I came back to the Catholic faith through Our Lady and Our Lord and my friends, dude, and through the intercessory prayer of my mother, the rosaries she prayed, I want you to know that we're part of the same family. And all of us, including my abortion people and my people who run Planned, you know, Planned Parenthood, we're all part of the same family. And I do pray God's mercy on us. But rather than think that they have to change, it's really about me. Your, your show, your diocese, makes me want to be like St. Paul. And basically, do the, th- do the things God has given me so the Holy Spirit can work through us to help the other person. It's beyond us, and we're so far, God bless it, we're so far polarized, as you know, as what you talk about. Yeah. This is it, dude. I mean, there's nothing else. Where am I going to go? There's nothing else. So we now have a medical practice here. Bella has a practice right there in Denver. There's, you know, there's Morningstar down in Phoenix. There's all these good practices opening up all over, and you just have to, you have to image it. You have to live it. You have to uh, exemplify it. Because words no longer have meaning. <laughs> well, so that's, a, right. that's unfortunate. Yeah. You're right. And I think, no, you, you know, is. you were kind of touching on it, right? These, these aren't the enemy that don't agree with us. They're souls that need to be saved. Oh, buddy. Deacon, yes, 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 yes. And that's what your, that's what your radio show and that's what your podcast and that's what your, you know, when you have a good, good shepherd in your diocese, 
this is what it's about. It's both and. It's social justice and the gospel of life. You don't, you don't do one uh, like pitting it against the other. They both hang in there, just like faith and reason. Right. And until you have people of all ages and all spectrums and all backgrounds can live it, I really think that that's where we're at. It's only going to be, I don't want to say martyrdom because that's a little over the top, but until you do it sacrificially, whatever that means in whatever job you're doing, um, you don't have to tell folks about it. You just have to live it. And that means not being lukewarm. Well, it's obviously you're not lukewarm. we got a couple minutes to go. I'm just curious as we wrap up here, you know, is it your witness to other people who are doing abortions? I mean, how have you been able to minister to people so that they can see Christ? Oh, please. I, you know, I have no idea. <laughs> it's just, well, geez, I was hoping you had a small of, formula that yeah, you could yeah, just yeah, bottle yeah. and sell. No, no, no. You just talking to people like you, man. I think it's I think it's doing whatever the Lord puts in front of you. I think whatever the little things he puts in front of you, some of us because of what we do are a little different than others, but it's always the little things. I don't think it's really the big things. I think it's the little woman who prays in front of the abortion or who prays for her child in the secret of her nighttime bedroom or the young lady or the young man that goes out there on an afternoon and makes a visit to the Blessed Sacrament or somebody who picks up scripture for the first time in a long time, or maybe the person who's, you know, out there um, in front of the clinic, uh, in front of the abortion clinic praying. Those are the keys. And, uh, and it's really, um, you know, we just opened up our practice here 25 years ago. And I know that there has been many, many conversions of other OBGYNs to not contracepting, to not aborting sick babies, to not... Um, to maybe not doing their IVF anymore. I understand that, but it's not because of what we're doing. The Holy Spirit's working in this, and I think we just do what the good Lord puts in front of us, and I don't really worry. I don't, I don't worry about converting others. I kind of see where, you know, it's like that, it's like, it's like accompanying them, but I also want them to see the truth. So if my words don't affect them intellectually or logically that that's truth, then maybe my life and my sacrifice and my, you know, like for instance, they want me to sit on a, a doctor's, um, a doctor uh, problem at the hospital as one of the ethics board people. I think they do that because they know I'm prayerful. You know, I'm a pretty decent guy. I'm Polish. You know, I'm pretty laid back. <laughs> but I think people come to ask for intercessory prayer for me. They know that that's available. And so because of that, you know, you get like a little bit of street reputation or whatever. We, we also well, and you know, babies here. Yeah, and you know, yeah, right, you're, you, you witness people by their fruit. And that's, and that's what you're doing, right? Bearing good fruit. 